Recorded live from the Philippines at the Tropical MBA, this is the Lifestyle Business Podcast. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial pursuit, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs all around the globe seeking to do the same thing you are. If you want to know more about this program or this podcast or want to get barraged by a lot of annoying pop-ups, check out our website, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Yeah, buddy, it's Thursday morning. This is the Lifestyle Business Podcast. Today, I am joined by a, a wonderful group of people at the Tropical MBA here in the Philippines. To my left is Sarah. Welcome to the show. Hey, super excited to see all the magic happening here. That's right, live and in person. And right across the table, Dan Sola. Hi, big fan of you, work. <laughs> and look to my right here, it's my business partner, a man who recently tried to pay his bar tab in bitcoins. Only in Williamsburg, my friend. Yeah, they don't roll like that in the Philippines. And of course, the lovely Alyssa Doucette is sitting there looking very important this evening with a, a notebook in hand. Yeah, taking down notes. I don't think there's much to take notes on in this program. Speaking of notes, this is Sarah's least favorite part of our podcast, so we'll make it quick. Two new five-star iTunes reviews and a, a little bit of uh, love from the Shogunator. Hey, Sarah, when somebody starts talking about you, you, you know, I, I like this part of the show. This is my favorite part of the show. People pumping us up. It is bragging. It is bragging. But here's the thing. It's really important to the show when you leave us for iTunes review because it gets us exposure and it keeps us pumped to do the thing. So thank you, Sean, for the five stars, the only podcast that I listen to religiously. I'm assuming he listens to some others non-religiously. And awesome from KU artist. Thank you so much for taking the time to go to iTunes to brave that clunky interface and to drop it like it's hot on five stars. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't take a lot of calories to do this. No. Thanks, guys. All right. Speaking of calories, I had a banana split tonight. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Today, Ian, we had one of our best interviews of all time. I called James Shremko uh, proactively fascinated by this dude, inspired by what he's been doing online, and to get him on the phone was no disappointment. I mean, you know I've been pretty much saying James Shemko said, James Shemko said, James Shemko said, James Shemko said. The whole last week. (laughs) Yep. I know. All right. Here's the thing. If you guys stick around for this interview, you're going to hear how James doubled his business every year for the last five years. Does that sound like somebody uh, you know? Uh, Yeah. He has 80-something employees in the Philippines. That's about 78 more than, than you. Yes. I got a total man crush on James. Yeah, By yeah. the way, I watch his videos. He puts out a new video like every day, right? It's awesome. The guy's, yeah. the guy's a freaking machine. And in one video, one video in particular that I watched, I saw what kind of car James has. I bet it's, I, I, yeah, yeah, I know buddy. you're looking for those rims, yeah. right? I, 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 you're going to hear, hear how James systematically destroys life and crushes all comers. If you listen closely... You're going to hear this. This has really been a, a hugely inspired phone call, uh, inspiring phone call, all jokes aside. And I, I hope you guys enjoy listening to the interview as much as I enjoyed doing it myself. All right, James, I'm a big fan of what you're doing, especially at the Freedom Ocean podcast, but I want to hear more about your total business today. So thank you for joining us on the Lifestyle Business Podcast. 
hey, this is really exciting to be here. I've, I've noticed I'm starting to get traffic from your podcast, so I really appreciate the recent mention. Cheers, man. So I'm going to link to your about page because the video you have there is fantastic. I was, you know, I was doing some research and I just got pulled in for the full hour of it. But I'm really curious about um, the transition moment. Um, you know, now you're, you're this famous guy online and you help people with their businesses. But what was the turning point from you going from a successful employee to somebody who was helping other people with their businesses? I was reading a lot of books about marketing and strategy and it became really clear that you have to own your own business. And all of my customers at the time who were buying high-end Mercedes-Benz owned their own businesses. It was pretty rare that I'd find employees. You might get the rich banker or stockbroker, but for the most part, they have their own business. So I guess I got this bug and it is in my family line. You know, my great, great grandfather used to own gold and silver mines all around the world and he would travel. In fact, he was like doing exactly what you do and what I do now. So I guess I just had that bug and I, I was kind of sick of working for someone else and growing their business. We were, I was working in a $50 million a year business and making him very wealthy, but I was limited to one source of income, which was my paycheck, which could be cut at any point. And I, you know, I just realized that that is the most dangerous situation possible for a guy with four kids and a mortgage and in geared investments. It was a race against time to get out of that job before it disappeared. What was the first business that you started online that started to gain the trust of an audience, that started to get some traction? Most of my original sales were word of mouth. Like I'd, I'd actually go to a kid's soccer game or baseball and talk to other parents. And I was so excited about the fact that you could put up a website and put up an, you know, an email thing and, and sell to anyone in the entire world. Now, you know, what's interesting, so you have a seven-figure business now and you have a stated goal of bringing that business to $100 million, which I think is, is, is thrilling. But the coolest part is that you specialize in helping other people do the same. And what are the things that you're seeing in your clients, that, what they're actually succeeding at this goal? Yeah, well, you know, I've listened to your podcast and you do know the same things. So I'm not surprised that you're getting these results. You're focusing on existing problems and solving them. So you have to be a problem-solving machine. So that automatically eliminates all these people who want to chase great ideas and, and put, put all this work into stuff where there's no payoff. The other things that are quite common with my students is I'll show them how to get recurring revenue so that they sell once and get paid over and over again. I teach them about a lifetime customer so this is going for the long haul. I think you call it a long, long ball. It's where you make that relationship and then sustain that relationship. So you don't have to go for the turnstile marketing, you know, the slam, bam, find new customers tomorrow. You get that customer and just acquire them and keep building up a snowball of customers. And then what you do is strategically continue to solve their problems with different products and services and I call this building out the chocolate wheel where the customer is in the middle of your business and you just keep adding slices to the pie or the you know segments to that wheel and your customer invariably will experience every product or service that you have because you're you're actually diversifying but within a spectrum of the same kind of customer base. And I think people actually overcomplicate stuff and they make it harder for themselves. I love your uh, chocolate wheel approach and it's kind of like, you know, you, you, these entrepreneurs that you're working with, they've got sort of this lifetime of entrepreneurship and you're just putting up little road stands along the way and helping them out as they go along. There's always any anything they might want, you've got something there for them and, and you've got 
got a lot of these training programs for entrepreneurs where they're paying you every single month and it's not cheap either. So I'm curious, like, are there some strategies that are really working for keeping those clients so loyal and keeping them coming back every month? Well, one thing that's counterintuitive is that for most of my programs, there's no long-term commitment. So if you take the typical coach or uh, mastermind group, they're going to want a 12-month or 24-month program. I commit people for one month. So if you look at our SEO programs, our uh, my mastermind program, my internet marketing coaching forum, they're all a 30-day commitment at, at the uh, absolute most. That's the most someone would have to commit until they're going to see a result. And the goal is that I deliver more value than their investment. So it is a natural continuation. And when I look at my uh, payment cart features, you know, I use a tool called Putler to analyze PayPal stats. And I'm big on looking at the numbers. So that will come up somewhere. I can see a loyalty rate running in somewhere around the 80% mark. That means that almost all the people I deal with stay on board and then my main job is just to bring more people on. Yeah, especially the internet marketing space. You, you, you said the best customers are the ones you already have and like I said, it's true, you know, like there's no magic bullet and, and it, it really is unfortunately a differentiator in our industry when it comes to coaching. If you're really going to spend your time with your, with your customers, it's still astounding that you're seeing 80%. Um, there's no tricks in there, there's no secret sauce, that's just... Uh, the magic of being on the phone with you, or is, what other kinds of things are you delivering to them when they're in, when they're in the group? Well, the, uh, you know, a lot of them, a good chunk of them, like more than a million dollars a year of that, they're never speaking to me on the phone or even once. So that's definitely not the magic. I'm not some special snake charmer. Uh, I want to add to this too. Our refund rate per million dollars is one percent, and I heard you talking about this in one of your episodes. I have a similar stance. I don't stretch to make the sale. So I'm really only attracting people who are committed and uh, who want to buy our solutions because it makes sense and there's, it's not forced so they actually stick. And I will take a lower conversion rate on the front end if I can keep that customer for life. Probably I don't even know some of the things that I do that cause it. But I do know this, it's not just unique to the internet marketing industry because when I started my first sales job selling luxury motor vehicles, there were some very snaky salespeople in that industry and they would literally pull out the commission chart, find the car that paid the biggest commission and everyone that walked in the door, miraculously, that car was the perfect car for them no matter what their situation. They might have a family of four and need to carry luggage and they would still somehow need this bright purple two-seater sports car that, that was superseded and had the underpowered old engine. Now, I took a different approach. I was prepared to find the right car for the person that came in the door. And when I was handing the car over, I knew that I would get paid. We, we call that seeing tail lights, right? When they drive off, that's when you get paid. Up until then, it could always fall over or cancel or refund. But I would say to the customer that I view this as the start of our relationship. This isn't the end. This is the start. And I'm going to let them know when it's the right time to change the optimal kilometers, uh, or you might say mileage, that they would get the, the best possible value. And I was quite often able to uh, have that customer come back well before the normal buying cycle. You see, the short-term salesperson thinks, well, this is going to be a three-year cycle. But miraculously, my customers would come back in a week or a month and buy another vehicle for their partner or their business associate or the person they play golf with or the friend from down at the shooting club. And this is how you grow a referral base. So within two years, 
half of my business was repeat referral, which is quite a short time in a longer buying cycle market. And within 12 months of that first job, I was the number one salesperson in the entire country for BMW. Uh, so you know, this actually works where I know it's crazy, but you actually care about your customers and you try and find the best solution for them instead of the best solution this for is, you. This is entirely radical stuff. I want to talk tactics really quick because as a new fan of yours, you know, I'm on the uh, alert list for your Silver Circle Mastermind group and I listen to your Freedom Motion podcast and I, I know that you do super fast business podcasts and, and blog posts over there, but it's sort of confusing to figure out what you're doing and where you're doing it and what's all going on. So did you ever wish that you just would have put everything in one place or and how did you decide to silo out all these different businesses into separate domains? When did you make that decision? Well, I made that one early on. Uh, again, you know, if you take a, the business model that I was working with was one dealership, but within that dealership were different segments. And, you know, dealerships really encourage siloed approaches. Your service department, they're like at war with the sales department who are at war with the parts department and at war with the finance department. But the recent campaign for Superfast Business was to bring them all under one umbrella to make it simpler, to re reduce confusion. And I've done this under the... Uh, tagline or the code name of own the race course so now I've gathered all the things that I wanted to keep and by the way you're only seeing a fraction of the iceberg because I did have other entities and I did have other uh, business models that I tried but I didn't pursue like I did uh, PPC management services but it was too difficult so I went too broad and now I'm gathered gathering it up into my main five or six things that I want to focus on and each one of those has the capability uh, if not already, is close to doing seven figures a year. And you combine them all to get an eight-figure-a-year uh, beast. <laughs> Some, one of my team emailed me today. He said, we've built a beast. And I have to agree, it is a bit of a beast. <laughs> That's absolutely fantastic watching you work. So speaking of, of beasts, let's, let's take a little segue in, and talk about the Philippines for a second because I'm obviously, mine ends super noisy. I'm here in, in the country. and I have friends here on the ground who live in this country that have 20 agents in an office and they're pulling their hair out. And you have 80 virtual agents. One thing you said is that you're pulling your employees in on a daily meeting on GoToMeeting. Tell me about how this, this one tactic has changed the way that you manage your business. Well, it's something I took from my old job. I mean, it's not just like an overnight thing. It's, it's not like, oh, I think I'll run an online business. Let's hire a bunch of people. <laughs> you know, my old job, the last job that I had, I was the general manager of a dealership that employed 70-something people. And, you know, we worked in, in three locations. So I was partially used to remote management. You're close, but not that close. So I did learn some of that remote management ability. But I certainly understand how you build layers of hierarchy with um, managers and team leaders and communications. And I also recommend people read that book, uh, One Click, I think it's called, by, about Jeff Bezos. But he has like a feed a team with a pizza rule. If it gets bigger than you, you can't feed your team with one pizza, then you have to split it into a smaller group. But the daily meeting is literally uh, pushing reset every day. It's all right. A, you've turned up. So I know you're there. I know you have internet today. And B, this is what we're up to. This is what I'm doing. What are you doing? Can I help you with something? Am I being your bottleneck? What's the biggest bottleneck in your team? 
uh, can can one of the other managers help you today? You know, and they help each other, and they're aware of each other's numbers. We talk about the numbers. It's, there's about seven people on the first call, which is our team leaders meeting. Uh, these people manage my different divisions, and then we have a group call where there's yeah you know, somewhere close to seventy people on that, and they come on, f- and each person in, in the entire business tells us what they're up to today. Everyone's on mute until it's their turn. We open them up. They say what they're up to. And sometimes we might jump in and say, oh, okay, I'm, we might, mightn't have let you know, but that project's now changed or whatever. So it's a great way to catch mistakes early. It's a great way to have that small batch cycle thing happening, which you read about in the lean startup and no doubt you do in your design and manufacture process. Like You don't want to go a week and find out that someone in your team used royalty protected music in a video training series you want to find out after one video render that that's not going to work and have it redone right then and there so small batch sizes uh, daily communication you also get to know people and their personality and i do make it a point to have a laugh with them and i reckon that we have a better team culture than a lot of these uh, in office companies i'm pretty sure of it because we have to rely on that communication. And during the day, we'll have Skype open and we'll have little groups. So you never feel lonely when you have that many people who are on the same mission. So I'm curious, because a lot of us have, have, have cut our teeth in the Philippines and done a lot of stuff here, but um, one thing I'm always wondering about is it seems you've scaled your team really aggressively along with your growth goals. Do you have any philosophies or strategies and how do you know when to hire? Yeah, you just need to know your number. And it's not the number you think it is. Most people think in sales. Uh, that's like the number one metric everyone looks at, sales volume. The other metric they look at is uh, they might look at their costs. They might think, oh, I've got all these people. It costs me a fortune. Yeah, it's going to cost a lot. Human capital is probably the number one cost for a virtual team like mine. However, it's ultimately going to come down to profit. But what we really want to look at is something like capacity let me give you an example. If you have a service business like one of my businesses, let's have a look at SEO. We have a 30-day plan for most of our customers that are on a recurring subscription. What we need to do is we need to deliver the work within 21 days because if we deliver the work within 21 days, we've given ourselves time to do the work well, we've given ourselves time to prepare a report with the results, and to go back to the customer and we still have some room to move by the end of the month when the next recurring bill comes. Now, if that customer gets billed and they have not heard from us since the last time they paid us, that increases dissatisfaction. However, if they've heard from us and then a week later they get billed for the next month, they're like, oh, this is cool. I know the results I'm getting. I'm getting a return on investment. These people are fine. I trust them. I'm going to go for another month. And now after six or seven months, they just stay subscribed because we've really proven ourselves. So the number that I look at is the number of accounts over 20 days. That's the number. Now, if that number was zero, then that would be perfect. But if that number is five or six or 10 or 20, then I know that we need to hire more people. This is fascinating. Do you find that your, your goal to reach 100 million uh, and revenue sort of helps you along to be a little bit more aggressive about the hiring? Or are you 100% locking in with a particular product line and saying, 
I know I've got solid ROI. Every time I deliver a product, it pays for the person. So the only number I'm going to look at after I've determined that core calculation is my capacity to deliver the product to my customers. Well, firstly, I just want to make a slight correction. I have, I have a feeling my goal was $10 million. Uh, as my first sort of, I really want to get to eight figures. I'll be happy with nine and I've done it before. <laughs> it. I have actually worked, I've run a business that's done a hundred million dollars a year and that is where I learned a lot of the things that are just not taught in general business books and stuff and this is when I had this lunatic boss who taught me crazy stuff. Does wanting a ten million dollar goal help? Yeah, it does because it's it's, you know, it's kind of a personal growth thing you learn a lot about yourself whenever you whenever you get sort of a plateau or you you reach uh success with something i guess it's only natural to think well what's next and you know i am more excited about business now than i've ever been in my life and i'm i'm more creative than i was ever able to be driving a desk and my main job now is doing all the things i love doing and i've got a team behind me to do all the stuff that i probably shouldn't be doing so it is a driver, and capacity is one thing. But, I, you know, I would actually find work for my entire team to do. If we decide not to do the stuff that we're doing now, then we could iterate and change tack. I'd say within about one week, we could move our entire team from one business to another. And I'm talking about 80 people because we have a rapid process creation system and we have very very good uh, ability to, to create standard operating procedures and adhere to standard operating procedures and, and measure and monitor and refine standard operating procedures and that's just from continual training i go over every three months we book out a four bedroom penthouse suite in a hotel and we ship everyone in and we we just do small meetings probably like you do with your uh, tropical mba stuff but I actually treat my team like they're my highest paying customers. And last year in December, I switched off my high paying customers, my one-on-one -on -one customers. I just turned them off and I said, I'm no longer offering one-on-one. -on -one. I'm now training my team and I now give my team my best. They get my one-on-one -on -one time and attention. Yeah, I like a performance car and I like to feed my family and, and live on acreage and and buy my daughter a horse and stuff, that's cool. But it's also nice when I visit my team and to see how their lives have improved and how, you know, they get to work during the day instead of the night, which they used to do in the call center. And they respect their, their fellow workmates and they enjoy their work. And I'm now offering them, I guess, a much more exciting lifestyle choice. One of the things that you're famous for online and it's something I've been just jabbering on about for a year now is this, 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 this way that you syndicate your content and you're really demonstrating the power of this at, at your new site, uh, Super Fast Business. So could you just let me walk me through the process of one of these daily videos or you know, you do it every two or three days. You put out a great video and they're super helpful. You're what well, Ian and I, you're doing the work in front of people. So there's this incredible trust factor where I watch you do something, you tell me why you did it, and then it's like, well, I can I can have your ninjas do it for me for five hundred bucks. Plus you're gonna do some extra stuff, you know, that's a no-brainer at that point. Tell me, tell me what your content strategy is and where that came about. So I took a news approach. I wanted to have like the equivalent of an online magazine or a newspaper that is by channels. And I am a big believer in eating my own dog food, right? I will make something for me and for customers. <laughs> and if, if people ask for it, then I'll share it with them and I'll either do it for them and they pay me or I'll teach them how to do it. So I've got the done for you and the do-it-yourself market. 
But the whole point is you get to feed your chocolate wheel. You've got this massive traffic engine on the front of it. <laughs> got dogs at home here. <laughs> Love it. Uh, so I'll take your cafe and I'll raise you some barking. Now, you focus all your energy in one place. So, you know, I did realize it was going to be easier for me to have one monstrous um, umbrella site to push all of my sites. And I go through to analytics and my best referrer for all my products is Superfast Business. So it absolutely works. I can measure and track it. And you can still talk to people in their channel. Now, if you're in the Silver Circle channel, you're probably getting a weekly coaching video for business news. If you're in my SEO channel, you're probably getting a weekly SEO news. And if you're on the master list, you'll be getting all of them. So people can dial in the combination of news that they want. It's like when someone buys the paper, they lift out the racing section or they pull out the, the fashion or the sports. So you can pick the bits you want. And so when people land on that site, they click on the tab that is a channel and they will now only see the news posts that relate to that channel. So it's quite clever in how that works. And the sidebar widget will only show them relevant products for that channel. So that was the thinking behind it. I love the, the basic concept and I hope that people go take a look at it as a model for for how to do great marketing, but let's let's talk about um, like what just producing one episode looks like. I'm just curious about how you send this out to the world. Sweet. All right. So um, I've got a little team that helps me with it, so I'm just going to point that out. But you can do it yourself. I did it myself for eight weeks, and then I went over to Manila, showed my team, and I said, "Team, this is what I'm doing." This is the result I want and I want you to take as much of this as you can and systemize it and so that I just have to give you the input. The total time for me per episode is about 20 minutes. Now the total time for the team is going to be longer. Uh, part one is you just collect ideas, not from a keyword tool, from actual customers and depending on the channel I'll get ideas from different places. So I have Evernote open and I think one of you was struggling with this Evernote thing but Trust me, it's worth having a notebook for each channel. So if it's, a, um, if it's a business news, I simply make notes on my business coaching call each week, put it into Evernote, and that will give me six topics to choose from for my news thing. So I take the ideas, I draft them into six points, and then I prioritize them from broad to narrow. The first points I cover in my news will be the one that affects most people because I've watched my heat maps on videos and you will lose people if they can't relate to it. So start with broad and then go to narrow and then I put them on a whiteboard. I walk outside, the whiteboard's cardboard. I walk outside with my camera, I just pick it up on the tripod, walk outside, I use a remote and I flip the, the screen around to myself and I, I autofocus and then I film. I hit record, I film in one take, it takes about five or six minutes. I walk back inside, I put the SD card into my Mac, I edit it in ScreenFlow using a template which has my watermark, intro and outro, and I export to Dropbox. That's it from my point of view. What happens then is the team will actually send me an email with proposed headlines and bullet points. They'll strip out the audio and they'll top and tail it for podcasting so you get that little... Um, you know, the podcast intro and outro is different to the video. They'll draft a press release and they'll create an original image for every single post. The next step is they'll then upload to YouTube, upload to Amazon S3, embed it into Blueberry plugin on my blog. They'll create a lead player which puts that lead capture inside the video. 
They'll add the headline and bullets with time codes, a full word-for-word transcription, and then they'll publish it to our other posts and we embed it in our forums. They'll put a PDF version of the transcription on our curated blogs. The RSS feed automatically updates our sidebar widgets in our other blogs. So you ask me, why do I have all these standalone sites? Well, I challenge you to do this. Go to any of my super fast business posts, grab like 50 words and Google it and see how many sites that is being syndicated to. It'll also get pushed to Scribd, right, in a weekly digest PDF. And it will be published via PR Web when we release that press release. And then the team will send me a little email with all the links to the YouTube stuff. And then all I do is create an email and send it out to the channel. And then I Facebook it, uh, Pinterest it, tweet it, uh, and Google Plus it. And then the cool thing is on that blog is a remarketing tag. So you'll probably be followed around Google with banners from my products and services. I don't know if you've seen a few of those here and there. Um, <laughs> and then you bookmark the post with something like OnlyWire. Again, that, and it, obviously it goes up to iTunes and YouTube and it's showing in related feeds. So in, you know, people listening to your podcast, if some of them come to mine, enough of them do that, then my podcast will start showing under your podcast and I'll naturally pick up related uh, audiences. And I just want to remind you again, this takes me about 20 minutes to do the first part. And it takes the rest of the team the rest of the day. So we do this pretty much every day. If people want to get more on that, they could go to Own the Race course. I'm going to actually publish some information on that, like in modules, just like the checklist version. Ah, perfect. And, and you have a term for this. You call it leveraging your work? Is that what you call it? Well, I mean, it definitely is leveraging. So you've seen this. This is something I've done for customers. I've done it for me. And then I teach people in a workshop and then I turn it into training and then a product. Once that product's up there, it'll work for me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and introduce people who want to learn about this to how it works. Probably most of the things I'm doing are not original. People like Gary V or Pat uh, are doing some of these things, but where mine's slightly different is I've brought in a whole bunch of my different products and services under one umbrella and just boosted them all up and created this massive traffic machine so my blog is not the final destination which it is with many bloggers it's like the front gate to the rest of the mansion so you know I have a couple business challenges for you because a lot of people I mean you're you're five years into it you've done something extraordinary in, in our space and I want to get an idea of how you would tackle some of the problems that many of the people in our audience face so the first business challenge I have for you is uh, if you were just getting started. So if you wanted to start a new lifestyle business, and let's say you had 500 or $1,000 of discretionary savings income, uh, you have no reputation or followers, say you've got a normal job, say you work at a car dealership, how would you approach that problem? Well, I'd be pretty clear about the result that I want because there's a big difference between a short-term two to 5,000 or a long-term two to 5,000 that turns into 100,000 to 200,000 a month. So I'm looking at, is this scalable? Can I get paid multiple times for a single effort? So you can sort of move that sliding bar between, okay, I get paid now, but it's a job-like thing where I'm literally selling time. So it's pretty easy to make two to 5,000 by setting up, uh, you know, you could do an email coaching thing for 100 bucks a month and get 20 people on that. Uh, you could have one 
customer who you help with their website and SEO and they pay you 5,000 a month. You know, I've had those customers for four years now. That's, that's quite easy. To scale that one, you'd have to take a longer term approach. Um, I would encourage people to look sort of at that longer term. I'd, I'd say look, look past a month or, or two, have a look at where you want to be in a year from now because it's just going to take a little while. You'll have these short sprints, but it really is a marathon. And the other thing I'd say, could you possibly build in some kind of recurring element? Because that's going to make it 10 times easier if you can have a recurring product. I still get paid today for stuff I was doing three or four years ago just by helping them solve their problem. And ideally, you want something that is a tollway or something that people continue to use, whether it's hosting uh, or you know a service that is just a little bit inconvenient if they have to stop and then start a new one. When I started mentoring people, I charged $700 a month, one-on-one. -on -one. That was my minimum viable product because I was sick of people asking me, could you help me, could you help me? I'm like, okay, here's a PayPal button for 700 a month. Hit that button, fill the PayPal in, and I'll help you. And you know, I do lots of free stuff, like heaps of free stuff. I've got more free products than most people have paid products. That's a different situation altogether. But some guy hit the $700 a month button. I've sent that guy nearly $400,000 from his partnership in a product that we did together so far. So he's done well out of it. Then there is the, uh, you know, eventually I realized this is not totally scalable, this one-on-one. -on -one. My one-on-one -on -one ended up being 6000 a month and then I stopped it to put time with the team. What I'm saying is that he got a return on investment. So if I was selling that for $30 a month, I'd probably be underpricing myself. What, once I used to have this lawn mowing round and I had 20 lawns that I would mow and I realized that it's okay. Some people with a small lawn are happy to pay more than other people with a big lawn because you're solving their problem in the way they want solved. I'd take a little bit extra care with the edges and I'd make sure I put a catch on. They would pay a lot more than I'd just mow it without a catch and, and not do the edges. So some people will be happy to pay you more to solve their problem better. In, on your show, you have fantastic energy. And a quick phone call to you on Skype where someone could ask you a question in a critical moment for them is not a big deal for you, but it's a huge deal for them. Should they hire this person or not? Should they go with A, B or C? You know, if you can just answer that, but they have access to it, you could charge more for the next level of access to you. But it doesn't have to be laborious on your time. The only appointments I have in a week are three calls and that's to my Silver Circle Mastermind members. But I have 35 members paying $1,000 a month. And, and so what are some effective ways for delivering that huge business value for entrepreneurs uh, in, in a coaching way when you're not actually dealing with them one-on-one? You, uh, you set up a go-to webinar and have small groups, six to ten people is a good number where you go, you go around in a traditional mastermind, you find out, uh, firstly, when they start, do a one-on-one -on -one with them and really dig into their personal scenario. Kind of like what we're doing now, but if we were talking about your business, we would really understand your challenges and your problems and find out what result you want to get and how you'd go about getting it and you know, how important it is to you. And we would map out six steps. And it might take you a few weeks to do those steps. It might take you a month or two, but you would keep chipping away at it. So each week is a check-in, keeping that accountability, but also refining your questions as your business evolves and iterates because it is a moving target. Also, you can poll the other people who are also, you know, by the nature of them being in that group, 
they're more committed and focused than the general public, just like you would have at your little events. So what you're really doing is having an online event each week for about an hour or 90 minutes. It's a mini online event and it's a recurring schedule, so it's easy to plan around routine. I can run this from anywhere in the world. Um, part, part of me is, is a little bit distracted because I'm taking notes on all the stuff that you're telling me. So <laughs> this has been uh, one of my favorite interviews of all time on this podcast and, and you've been really generous with your, your advice and your time. And, and so on behalf of the whole audience, I really thank you for, for coming out. Would you mind sticking around to the quick tips section? Because I've got a, uh, a question about software for you. Absolutely, I'd love to. Okay, so one of the things that um, you've been talking about and I've been seeing popping up around with some of the premier guys is a piece of software called Office Autopilot. Now, 95% of us are still stuck with AWeber. And I'm curious about what are the benefits of this piece of software and when should one make the transition? One of the things I really want you to, to, to tell me about is when you subscribe to your blog, you can choose which channels you want to get information on. And I always thought this was the most obvious feature set for mailing list software. And I'm assuming that this software does it. So tell me a little bit about that if you could. Yeah, it's exactly the same as when I switched from Outlook to Gmail. You know, I used to hate Outlook. It had these stupid, uh, you know, folders. But what you want is labels. It makes so much sense. People should be able to exist with multiple labels. And so when you switch to Gmail, you don't have to have stupid folders. You just have a couple of labels and you can call up anything. So that's, that's pretty much the, the way that I look at Office Autopilot. In my case, I had th uh, 30, 35,000 records in Aweber and I had 160 segmented lists. And it made no sense to me, but I couldn't just make a little group and say, well, Dan's on my SEO product and a website, so I want to send him to this group. It doesn't let you do that. And you almost have to re-opt someone in, which is dumb. With Office Autopilot, if someone's already on one of your tags and then they opt into another one, they don't have to go through the double opt-in process because it's smart enough to say, hey, I already know you. We've done this confirmation thing. I'm just going to add a label to you. And you can really do some cool stuff with this. So I exported the whole thing from Aweber. I imported them all to Office Autopilot. They were really cool about it. They said, hey, where'd you get this stuff from? I'm like, hey, they're my Aweber double opt-ins. They said, no problem at all. It turned into 19,000 people on my thing. So I actually had 35 shrunk to 19,000 because I went from lists to individual email address records. So they treat each person as a record, like by email. And then I imported the tags. So I just I literally created a tag for each product someone bought. And now I can assign a value. And I can say, well, if someone bought SEO, I'm going to give them 10 points. If they buy a website, I'll give them 10 points. Now I can go into Office Autopilot and make groups. And I can make a group and say, right, I want people who have 40 points or more. And it will go and look through and find people with 40 points or more. And I can call this my VIP customer segment. And now I can have the most relevant conversation with my very best customers. And as you know from all the 80-20 stuff, these are the people who are giving me most of my income so I can really have that close dialogue with them. The other thing it allows you to do is have sequences. So in my daily news thing, you know, if, if people don't want to hear from me every day or two, that's fine. On the bottom of my email it says, hey, would you rather get a weekly digest? They click on that and Office Autopilot is smart enough to say, oh, okay, 
I'll put this tag weekly. So now when I do my daily broadcast, it will say, okay, I want everyone who's got this tag, this tag, and this tag, but if they have a weekly tag, do not send it to them. And then once a week, I go along and send my weekly. Now I've got over 300 people on my weekly list. And the only way they can get on that is if they click on that button in my email. So I know there were people on my list who may have been tempted to unsubscribe completely, but I've got them on a weekly digest now. So just think about the chocolate wheel for a second and how clever this is. When I send the weekly digest, it is the snapshot of my week's worth of emails. So now they're being exposed to my other channels that they may not have necessarily been subscribed to. So you're cross-promoting automatically. So this sounds, sounds to me like it's fulfilling the promise of Infusionsoft, <laughs> which, is a, which is a very difficult to use piece of software, but has this great capability, probably not relevant um, you know, for small businesses. But this sounds to me like this is, I mean, do you need a team to run this piece of software? Is it something that a solopreneur could, could use effectively? No. I set up everything myself. I imported the lists. I set up the tags and the sequences myself. I watched their training videos, which are excellent. If not a little bit cheesy with the whole Ninja Dojo thing. But anyway, I tried Infusionsoft and I failed with it. I couldn't use it with the things I wanted to use it with. But it integrates perfectly with my cart, this Office Autopilot. It's easy to use. It's like a, it's like a AWeber ease of use level for an Infusionsoft power piece of software. And here's the cool part for me. My monthly bill was exactly the same. It was still $300 a month, so it was no cost to, to change over. But my ability to do business has dramatically improved. It'll be another reason why my business will sort of double again at some point because I'm able to have the right conversation with the right person at the right time, which I wasn't able to do with Aweber. It was getting confusing and difficult to manage. So, so James, is there any reason why I shouldn't just go out and make the switch in the next few days? There is no reason whatsoever, none at all. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, for, for speaking of solving people's problems, James, I, <laughs> we've all just been pulling our hair out uh, over the last uh, year or so about Aweber, and so, uh, you know, it's worth having you on just for that. All right, everybody, I hope you got a ton out of that interview. I know we did. If you have any follow-up questions for James, I know he's going to be at the LBP blog answering your questions. This is episode one, two, four of the Lifestyle Business Podcast. We've been around the block a couple times, buddy. Yeah, buddy. We are headed off to the DCBKK meetup this week. Yeah. So looking forward to that. Hopefully James can come out to our little meetup next year. Yeah, buddy. That'd be nice. You but... know he's going to get an invite. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Speaking of hipsters, we got a little song for you called Simple Song. It's by The Shins, one of Ian's favorite bands. Oh, boy. I got to tell this story real quick. So the other day, I was in California before I came to the Philippines, riding down the boulevard in my vintage BMW, yeah. blasting the shins, and I thought, damn it, this might be the moment where I realized I could be part hipster. <laughs> Super disappointed in myself. We got to go. It's been great. We'll see you next Thursday morning. Why are you always late with the booyah, man? Booyah. How can you not? I mean, come on. There's one thing you got to do in this show. <laughs> Hey everybody, thanks for listening. Don't be shy. We've got a mailing list, lifestylebusinesspodcast.com. Go there, get yourself signed up, and we'll keep you up to date on everything we do.
Everybody gets to say their piece on the LBP. We can put this after the music. What do you got? Come on, articulate yourself. You're a lawyer. You're going to talk shit. Say it to the whole community. <laughs> it's not that I think the iTunes reviews are not worthwhile. It's just if I had to pick a least favorite part of the most wonderful LBP podcast, it would be the iTunes reviews. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You're welcome.